This is episode 31, and we're going into the cutting room of Top Gun Maverick with Eddie Hamilton, ACE. Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. If you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick just yet, you need to hit the pause button on this podcast right now and go buy yourself a movie ticket because you got to check it out. It is truly an amazing film. The hype is real, as they say. And for those that have seen it, well, you're in for a treat because today I'm talking to the editor of Top Gun Maverick, Eddie Hamilton ACE, is here and he's going to give us all the details about the editing of this truly wonderful film which features some phenomenal action sequences cut by my guest today, who certainly has a lot of experience in this department as he's cut some of the biggest action films in recent years, including Mission Impossible Fallout, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Kingsman The Secret Service, Kingsman The Golden Circle, X-Men First Class, and Kick-Ass. At the moment, Eddie is currently editing the next chapters in the Mission Impossible movie series. After 23 years in the industry, Eddie Hamilton has cut over 20 feature films, both indies and studio movies, in a wide variety of genres, as well as TV dramas, documentaries, and award-winning short films. His enthusiasm for big-screen storytelling is matched only by his total dedication to the craft of film editing, his nerdy technical expertise, and his undisputed love of chocolate. Some of the topics Eddie and I will be discussing today include his journey to editing some of the biggest Hollywood feature films, how it took him 20 years from starting out to getting to edit Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, the importance of defining your goals, the struggles and sacrifices of being a top film editor, why you should always aim to be the best at what you do, how Eddie achieves a proper work-life balance, the biggest risk he took professionally, working with Tom Cruise in the cutting room, what Eddie looks for when hiring assistant editors, how it's not necessary to assist before becoming an editor, and his advice for anyone wanting to edit feature films. We'll get to my guest in a minute, but before that, I want to invite you to become a member of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community. You can sign up today. It's free at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash community. This is a great place to not only learn about the craft of editing, but also the inner workings of the post-production industry. You get access to live question and answer sessions, as well as virtual networking events, and get notified of job opportunities in the post-production industry. It's a great community to meet like-minded people, so make sure to sign up today. It's free at hollywoodeditingmentor.com community. All right, guys, here we go with episode 31 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor podcast with the man himself, Eddie Hamilton, ACE. It is a true honor to have here the one and only Eddie Hamilton, ACE, on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Eddie, I mean, I wish everyone could see your background right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the cockpit, flying at F-18. Yes. No, no, I've got one of the Top Gun Maverick Zoom backgrounds on. It's quite fun. 
you can just Google them and you'll see them there. But there's there's several fun ones. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, thank you for having me on. It's awesome to talk to you. Yeah, no, it's great to have you here, Eddie. Uh, and I, like I said, I was telling you, I saw Top Gun Maverick last night. I mean, I I can't tell you how amazing it was. You did some amazing work. Thank you. What what a, what an achievement. What an experience it was to watch it. Like I told you, I watched it in San Diego. That's and, awesome. And the crowd was just going nuts. It was going nuts when we saw that Chiron coming up. That is awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. I I... I you know what it's like when you work on something, you hope you're going to get reactions in the crowd. And um, I've seen it a handful of times now with an audience. While we were making the film, we didn't really ever see it with an audience, obviously, like most filmmakers. But to I saw the, uh, I went to the Cannes premiere and then I went to the London premiere. And it was, it's uh, fantastic. There are certain places where I'm just so excited to see how the audience is going to react. And it's incredibly rewarding to have the film be out there in the world and and not disappoint people. I think, given I'm such a fan of the original movie, I was 14 when I saw it six times in the theatre that summer, 1986. And I loved it so much. I was the perfect age for that film. And I, we felt the weight of expectation every day making this movie. And I just desperately didn't want people to be disappointed. You know, I wanted everyone to, who watched it to know that we cared deeply and passionately about the end result. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that everyone who went to the theater had a, had a great night at the movies. You know, oh, it was a great night for sure. I mean, everyone in that packed theater was clapping and cheering. I mean, just a great time. Wow, it's brilliant. I, I, it's this is it. This is why we do it. This is why you go to the movies. It's to have that experience after everything we've all been through the last couple of years. Oh my word! It's it's. I honestly, I I get quite emotional sometimes reading some of the reactions on Twitter and hearing people talk about the film. It was incredibly hard work making this movie um you know months and months and months and months and months of just really slow painstaking work to build it and you know you see the film hundreds of times when you're making it you see every iteration of every scene and every line reading and every music cue and 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 you just have no idea <laughs> you know it's so exciting. I'm so grateful. And I, I, I've always dreamed of, of working on a movie that has some kind of cultural impact like this. And it, it's, it's so humbling and exciting to, to have played a part in it, you know, really genuinely. I'm, I'm so thrilled that people are enjoying the movie. Yeah, well, I, I watched it and uh, right away I said, well, that took some work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much, there's so much to balance. There's so much uh, emotion and character and, and, you know, exposition and action and adventure. And, you know, then you've got the sound and the music and the dialogue and the jets and the, it's like, it, it, it's, 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 it's a tapestry of, of tiny little pieces, just very, very, very delicately sewn together so that the end result is just effortless to watch. And, and you know, the, the, it, it's a, just a completely emotional experience from beginning to end, you know, and, and you don't feel like you're being taught about flying and about, a, about G's and about 
um, altitude and speed and, you know, Sam's and all that stuff. It, it all just kind of flows naturally as you're watching the movie. And, um, you know, it takes it takes a very long time to get that balance right. Uh, endless iterations. But, you know, it's it's we got there in the end. Well, congrats again. I mean, obviously, the world loves it. It's been doing great at the box office had an amazing opening weekend yeah it is amazing yeah it's fantastic thank you so definitely we'll get to talk more about top gun maverick soon uh, later on this podcast but first eddie just i kind of want to hear about your career you're working on just the biggest movies now top gun maverick obviously the mission impossible films uh dead reckoning part one and two uh, kingsman films kick-ass x-men first class i mean you're doing the biggest projects around how did you get there walk us through your journey to being a, a a film editor and, I, and not only just film editor but working on these just massive projects well um i was a film fan from the age of eight when i first saw star wars on tv um it started at 8 p.m i remember it was on a commercial station in the uk called itv it was 1980 i think i was eight years old and it it started at eight and finished at like half past ten and my bedtime was at nine so I only got to see an hour of the movie, but my dad had a Betamax video cassette recorder. And I remember we recorded the movie and then I, I got up at four o'clock the next morning and I went down to the TV, which was directly under my parents' bedroom in the living room. So I had to watch the rest of the movie with the sound turned really low to not wake them up. But I remember like it was yesterday, I remember watching that and just being absolutely transported into this incredible adventure that had been imagined by someone else and edited by you know three amazing editors and john williams wrote the music and all that it's i i saw people's names at the end of the credits and i remember thinking i think does that mean people make films for a living anyway i i remember from the age of eight, just being obsessed with movies, watching as many as I could and listening to movie soundtracks, reading books about filmmaking, um, going to the cinema as often as I could, which wasn't a lot when I was young because I wasn't really taken to the movies much as a kid. But I, I just treasured all those movie going uh, experiences. And, and they had really it was almost spiritual certain times when I went to the cinema to watch films. I got lost in the movies. It was, it was, I just loved the escapism and the, and the excitement of it. And um, that never left me, this love of cinema and this love of the, you know, theater going experience has, I've had it all my life since then. And I, I remember when I was 17, hooking up two VHS machines and playing around with editing um, some of my VHS tapes and making montages of movies that I liked and stuff and thinking, this is really quite fun and hours would fly by. And so I thought instead of being a writer and a director, which is what everyone thinks they're going to be, I thought I would, I would try my hand at editing. And after I left university, I, I got a job as a, you know, PA as a runner making tea in a facility, post-production facility. They have, they had avid media composer. This was like 1995 and I worked there or 94. Even I worked there for a couple of years taught myself how to use Avid Media Composer. And then I was always passionate about filmmaking. So I found some 
young filmmakers who are making a movie for nothing. And I said, can I edit your film? And I used to um, pay the bills by, by freelancing for two days a week, editing promos for the Paramount Comedy Channel here in London, or doing whatever jobs I could pick up and then spending the other five days a week editing movies for free. And I did about, um, uh, I mean, many low budget movies. Uh, and then my, my biggest break came um, working with Matthew Vaughan in 2001 on a film he was producing called Mean Machine, which was a kind of six million pound um, British movie had an actor called Vinnie Jones playing football in prison. And, and I, I worked with Matthew on that film and that led to working with him on kick-ass and X-Men first class and then Kingsman. Um, so that, that was a crucial uh, relationship that I built. And then when, when we were, and Matthew's one of the great independent um, movie producers here in, in the UK, he he's exceptionally gifted storyteller and, comes up with incredible ideas for films and and ways to tell stories he's brilliant with music he loves editing so it was a real pleasure to collaborate with him on all those different movies and then um um and then uh when we were finishing the sound mix on kingsman the secret service which was the first kingsman movie i got a call about going to meet chris mcquarrie for mission impossible which i think my la agent had set up and uh I, 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 I didn't think they would offer me the job, quite frankly, because I'd never done anything of that scale. But I met with Chris and, and we got on and I started working on the movie and um, I really gave it my all. I wasn't going to fail. Uh, but it was 20 years from, you know, starting out to getting the phone call to do Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And I, I worked very closely with Chris McCory and Tom Cruise on that movie. And then again on Mission Impossible Fallout, which had a very challenging aerial sequence with the helicopter chase at the end. And then when we were in a preview for Mission Impossible Fallout, my agent called and said, they want to talk to you about doing Top Gun Maverick. And um, I was in Arizona at a, at a test screening for Mission Impossible, and I, I said, well, why don't I just fly and meet Joe tomorrow in uh, Santa Monica, and then I'll just move my flight back from LAX. So that's what I did. I went very early the next morning. I took a little flight to Santa Monica from Arizona and had a chat with Joe and met Jerry Bruckheimer, and they very kindly offered me the movie, and that's that's how I ended up uh, here. But I, you know, I always wanted to work on huge action adventure movies because those are the movies that I loved growing up you know Aliens and Die Hard and Back to the Future and John Carpenter's The Thing I remember that having a profound effect on me JFK movies like that just uh large scale movies and I I was also a huge fan of visual effects growing up so I remember reading every book I could about visual effects and then a lot of that um, knowledge has kind of allowed me to flourish in these kinds of movies where visual effects are um, essential to telling the story. And anyway, I've always wanted to work on these large scale um, movies. I studied visual effects a lot as a as a kid, reading lots of books. So all that that has kind of fed into my career. And uh, I I absolutely love where I am. I love working on these movies. I love the fact that we have incredible resources and I get to collaborate with the best people. 
whether it's visual effects supervisors or cinematographers, composers, writers, actors, you know, it really is a joy every day. And I, I, I pinch myself going to work. I never take it for granted. I'm very grateful to be employed. And, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. It sounds like you had very defined goals early on. I mean, you had a, first of all, you knew that you wanted to edit. That's one thing. That's true. Because a lot of a lot of people discover that, I think, as they maybe try, maybe, say, directing or yeah. cinematography, and then suddenly, oh, I fell into post-production and editing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel that I've been quite fortunate uh, that I've had this love of movies from the age of eight and then found this kind of world of editing and post-production around the age of 17. And uh, I'm, I'm a nerd. You know, I love computers. Uh, I, you know, I love technology. I love, I love storytelling, and all of that just kind of suits me, really. Um, so, sitting in a dark room for hours at a time on my own, slowly building the, you know, working on the details and the large canvas of the story, you know, like we all do in post production, kind of really suits me, and I, I kind of get lost in it, you know, and it's very fulfilling when you spend a very long time um, slowly chipping away at a sequence for it when it starts to come together and then, then you can refine it and improve it and, you know, work with your collaborators to make it as good as it can be. Uh, I mean, I can imagine, I mean, you're obviously working at this level now, but getting here, I would assume that there was a lot of, I mean, hard work and, and sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And support from other, from mentors. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It, I have, uh, I mean, all my friends will will tell you that I have, I I, I barely have a, had a day off in all that time. Um, I have taken some vacations, and obviously in the film industry, usually you get Christmas at least a week off at Christmas. Um, but I, uh, you know, had had relationships that certainly um, struggled with the uh, kind of commitment and. Um, hours that I would see that I had to put into the job to kind of achieve my goal of trying to be one of the best in the world. I mean, if you're, if you're going to attempt to do something really well, the goal of trying to be one of the best in the world is surely something that you should aim for. Um, even if, even if you may never get there, it's very, very subjective, obviously, but I, I thought I'm just going to work incredibly hard and, learn the skills and study and watch as many movies as I can and really educate myself and try and make the most of every opportunity and um you know just just aim high aim really high every single day don't compromise you know really make the most of every opportunity that you get and work as hard as you can and 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 learn as much as you can learn as many skills as you can um uh, and and it's worked for me and and certainly you know I um, have I've been married to my wife Charlotte for coming up to eighteen years in December we have a sixteen year old and a and a thirteen year old uh, two daughters and um, it it has been a challenge it's been really tough sometimes you know when you're starting out and you're trying to make ends meet and you're you're worried about paying the bills and you know, we're all freelance. So, you know, we can have, we can think we have a job and then it disappears. And, you know, I've been through that situation many times where I'm worried about, am I going to pay the bills, you know, in the early days and you rely on friends for support and you do any job that you can get to, 
to earn money um and but slowly the 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 kind of scale of the projects increased and i but you know i always struggled with the work life balance it was all, it's always a problem if you're really trying to to set the bar very very high for yourself and not settle in terms of delivering excellence and trying to be world class um it it can be a, a struggle and i remember uh really after i uh, did rogue nation and before i started on kingsman the golden circle i think this was about 20 probably this december of 2015 i remember uh, really having to reassess my um work life balance because i knew that um you know i uh, my marriage wouldn't succeed and you know my my kids wouldn't really like their father if i if i if i if i wasn't present more in their lives and so really in in 2015 i did radically reprioritize things in order to make sure that i you know really focused on communicating with my wife and children to make sure that i you know i i kind of rebuilt my relationship with them and um but yeah it is tough i will say and, and a lot of people in this industry have the same kinds of problems but i'm i'm in a much better place now um than than i was and obviously when i did top gun maverick in 2018 it required moving my family to los angeles for a year which i initially wasn't because of this discussion about work life balance i didn't think it was necessarily a good idea but it was actually Charlotte my wife who persuaded me that it would be an incredible adventure for our children so we rented a house in Mar Vista and the kids went to school in Venice and I cycled to Santa Monica each day to work at Jerry Bruckheimer's office and I did that you know for a year and and I was traveling a lot to different naval bases where they were filming um the aerial sequences for Top Gun and again working very hard and you know almost burning out on a couple of occasions um just from the long hours um and being away being away from the girls uh for for weeks at a time you know when we were filming but we got there in the end and then the second half of post production i was kind of based in london where where tom cruise was and uh, and then obviously we we went into lockdown um and so a lot of the, the rest of the post production was um was at home basically where i am now on on my kind of home setup and but in, you know in a funny way that and a, and a lot of people i know share this sentiment but when we were all locked down and uh being um you know living with our families i think we found we all quite enjoyed that kind of uh free that that opportunity to kind of reconnect with everybody and um and not have to be in the rat race and the kind of the, the commute and all that stuff that we were all dealing with before you know so um i found that actually quite beneficial and 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 a lot of the stuff that i you know meditation and um uh, uh, uh not you know f- forcing myself to kind of study and 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 do self improvement all the time which is what i used to do you know i i'm a lot more relaxed now and and i try and really focus hard on the work when i need to but then i really try and make sure i'm present at home as well which 
is a lesson we all kind of have to learn and come to terms with with you know phones and social media and all that stuff which i hope i've got under control oh absolutely no i mean it's, i think it's important to talk about this the, the realities of this job yeah right first of all you gotta love this stuff yeah you got you got because I mean, it is a lot of work it is it is a lot of work it is um but you know no two days are the same and you're getting to collaborate with incredible people uh and ultimately make amazing films so all the 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 long long hours and you know heartache and sweat and stress is is worth it you know i'm very proud of mission impossible fallout that was incredibly tough and then i'm super proud of top gun and how it turned out um even though it it was uh you know it, it sometimes when you're climbing up the mountain you're looking around and wondering if you're ever going to get to the top you know but with with you know great uh collaborators and great producers and directors and you know you you get there eventually i have a question here from a very good friend of mine chris kavanaugh who is also a member of this community great hi chris his question is are there any situations you can describe where you had to take what felt like a big risk professionally and if so what did you learn from the experience that is a good question a big risk professionally i mean <sighs> Anytime you're pushed out of your comfort zone, it's very unpleasant, but it's always worth it, uh, especially if you're challenging yourself. I, I will tell you a story. So the way I got my first job with Matthew Vaughan is they they were working on this film, Mean Machine. It was August and the movie was coming out in December and they had an assembly of the movie or they were getting towards the end of the of the filming schedule they had an assembly of the movie they weren't that happy with it and they were looking for another editor to come on board and i said to matthew look um i i don't care what it takes i i would i would do anything to this was after he'd done lock stock and two smoking barrels and snatch as well so this was after he had had two very big hit films in the uk as a producer And he, he he was like the hottest producer in the country. And I said, I'll do anything to work on your film. And uh, I'll sleep on the floor of the edit room. I don't care. I'll just do whatever it takes. And um, he he said, okay, you've got two weeks. See what you can do in two weeks. Um, so I, I started and I just started at the beginning of the movie and I, I did a fresh edit of the movie from the beginning and I did as much as I could do in two weeks, which was about 40 minutes of the film. I had no idea if he was going to like it. And, um, but I, I, two weeks went by and then he came in at lunchtime and, and I left the room and I, and he pressed play and watched it. And then he came out and he said, yep, that's great. Carry on. That's good. But I remember, it was that all my chips were on the table at that point you know i'd bet on myself and and i i i if he hadn't liked it then i would have been back to square one and but i i said look i won't let you down i really want to do this movie i think i can do it and uh, it worked out luckily in that case you know Absolutely. No, that's the thing. It's so important to take risks. Yeah. To just sometimes you just got to jump and go for it. Yeah. I think, I think making the most of every opportunity that you get, because everyone that you meet in this industry is going to be an ally going forward. 
in some respect. Uh, and you never know when you might cross paths with them again. And it's really nice when you start it early in your career and you see kind of familiar faces popping up as you work your way up through the industry. And um, yeah, I, I always try and cultivate those relationships as best I can. And the other thing that I do now, I have a team of assistants is really make sure that they feel valued and um, and not overworked, ironically, because we have a large enough team. I really try and make sure that everyone gets to attend you know, any family gathering or birthday party or christening or wedding or anything that they need. Um, and I want my team to have fun and I want them to know how to do each other's jobs so we can support each other because this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we need to, to help each other through this. And ultimately, I think you get a better result. You know, so I, I hope my team feel that that they're valued and appreciated and um that we all have fun, you know, every week. Yeah, no, it's important to find those people, people that will, yeah, that you, that feel the same way about, say, having a work-life balance and understand the need to also kind of, you know, what, yeah, we need to step away f from, say, the cutting room at times and be cool with it, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And if you know, it's important for people to take lunch breaks. It's important if people are having a tough time that they feel like they can you know, just leave and take a walk or go home early or whatever, because I know that everyone's heart is in the right place. But I also know that this is a, this can be really challenging sometimes, especially if you have tight deadlines and you're all scrambling to get a movie ready for a screening that you think is starting at seven o'clock. And then the producer comes in and says, wait, we're going to start the screening at six o'clock. And everyone's got to scramble that much quicker to get everything ready to press play on time. Um, but we all kind of pull together and get through it and and try and have fun while we're doing it, you know. But it is very important. I really take a long time um, choosing the collaborators for my team because it's it's always a kind of unique blend of people almost for every project. And um, you've got to get it right. Otherwise, it, it's uh, it, it just doesn't it doesn't help. Um, a, the, you know making it doesn't help the kind of smooth running of a cutting room and making sure that you know mistakes don't get made and stuff absolutely well i'm sure your 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 team appreciates uh how you handle your cutting room there eddie i hope so <laughs> i hope so <laughs> eddie i want to jump into top gun maverick i mean again some just amazing work i mean it was truly a, an amazing experience watching that film I watched it last night, and I cannot wait to oh. watch it again, honestly. Uh, I'm so excited. First of all, obviously, these flight sequences are just truly amazing. Give us some insight into your process for cutting this material. I mean, you felt you're, you're in that cockpit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is, you know, let's start by giving credit to the cinematographer, Claudio Miranda, and Joseph Kaczynski, the director. And, you know, the whole brain trust, Chris McQuarrie, the writer, obviously Tom Cruise, who is has final cut on these movies and is instrumental in uh you know guiding these films um in you know production and post production and then Jerry Bruckheimer of course who's a legend um it's it's they there's a there's these sequences were very complicated they were filmed over months and months and months um we started with some rough previews and storyboards um but that it, is really only like a, a way of it's a thought experiment really to start 
the, the conversation about what these sequences will be. It's important that each sequence feels different in the film and and you kind of build up the audience audience's tolerance for kind of information about about um altitude and and g-force and uh you know pop-ups and um uh velocity you know knots and speed and all that stuff and um you you it just takes a very long time. You know, there was so much footage on this movie, six cameras on each actor. Um, every day we'd arrive at the Naval base, there'd be a two hour briefing where we would talk about the kind of three or four beats that we would send the pilots up to get. Sometimes one jet would go up, sometimes two, um, a Top Gun pilot in the front. And then there's an actor, one of the actors in the back. Um, I would watch the footage where we would, they would, the guys would land. We would watch the footage. I would start to uh, get it transcoded. I'd bring it in. My, my team would start to break it down. And then each day at the end of the day, I'd be kind of going through with a six way split screen, looking at the, the, the little, um, the, the pieces that we got. Did we have all the emotional beats? I'd sit with Joe, the director, we would review it all. Uh, we would try and record temp ADR because the recordings in the cockpit were not, always great although every line was rewritten multiple times during the editing process to make sure the story was as as easy as and kind of concise as possible um and and i i the the exterior shots of the jets were filmed months after the interior shots uh and some of them were ground cameras some of them were heli some of them were jets and it's very hard to film a jet going 700 miles an hour so quite often you would end up with loads of footage with just 18 frames of a cool shot of a jet turning left or right so it would take forever to skim through all the footage and break it down by location and by by kind of movement and and then when i was building the sequences you're just trying to make sure that you're using all the best stuff um the scenes start out very long the the, the third act in the movie took me three months to do a first pass um, and that was every single day, just very slowly, just chipping away, adding shots to my timeline. Um, some days I would only do five seconds or seven seconds a day because there's so much footage and you're looking at so many options for each moment and you're trying to save, you know, I remember that when I was, when Maverick and Phoenix are doing their pop up in their, in that part of the mission, uh, it, it, there were so many options for the jets climbing and then the jets spinning and then the jets going down. And, and I wanted to make sure I used great shots for them, but then save some great shots for rooster and payback and fanboy when they turn up and they do their run. And, um, sometimes I would use storyboards. To, I would cut them in if we had them, or sometimes I'd use previs, but, uh, you know just as placeholder stuff but then we had to use the actual real shots eventually so i i had to make the best use of what i had and the sequences always start out too long uh, and in the wrong order and you know in the third act mission you're you're cross-cutting between you know the tomahawk missiles and maverick and and rooster and the the fifth gen fighters and then back with the base you know with uh, cyclone and warlock and hondo on the carrier and you're trying to Make sure that you're you're balancing each story so you understand where everybody is and and what the stakes are, where we are in the mission, how much time has passed, you know, how close they are to their target, how far away the, the enemy 
um, fighters are. You know, it, it just, it takes ages. You, you get the sequence together. It's not very good. You refine it, you refine it, you refine it, you move things around, you re-record lines of dialogue. Um, uh, and, you know, earlier in the movie, you've got training missions where we're intercutting um, action in the air with uh, graphics that are playing on the screen of the F-18. And then there's a, a classroom, which we call a tack room, with the pilots being instructed by Maverick. And we're, we're showing graphics on the screen to explain what the pilots have to do. We're educating the audience, but we're trying not to tire out the audience. And we're, we're teaching them about the mission, but we're making it effortless to watch because your eye is always guided around the frame. Um, and everything that you need to see is presented at exactly the moment you need to see it so that you just follow the geography and the, uh, the, you know, the orientation of the jets in the air and what they're doing and they're, they're spinning over here and they're diving here and they're going towards the, you know, all of that stuff has to be, uh, very carefully thought out and planned and just took months and months and months to get right. Um, and you know, once you've got something, you're showing it to the director, you're showing it to, you know, Chris, the, the writer, and, and then ultimately showing it to Tom. And the kind of notes he gives are very emotional notes, whereby he, you know, he's always saying, I'm not connected with this character. I, I don't feel the pressure on this character. I don't understand um, why this character is doing that, things like this. Um, and, you know, the very first dogfight in the film um, which we call the basic flight maneuvers, the BFM, which is the scene where the Who, the, the Who track plays, you know, won't get fooled again. Great song, by the way. Great song selection. Yeah, it's a, it's an awesome song. <laughs> but it's so interesting because we started with that and the, the scene is four minutes, 10 seconds, where that scene is playing, where that song plays now. And it started out about 15 minutes long, uh, you know, um, because I put in everything, you know, all the good shots, all the all the dynamic angles from inside and then slowly, slowly compress it down to 12 minutes and then to nine minutes and then to six minutes. And actually that sequence stayed at six minutes almost until the end of the final mix where we had a different piece of music. And the scene wasn't quite, you know, really humming along and wasn't punchy and didn't sizzle and spark. And it wasn't like really exciting. And we had this other piece of music. We tried several, but um, it wasn't working. And we all looked at each other in the mix and we just said, no, this still needs work. So in the last week of the final mix, we took down reel three, which was the reel with the BFM. And I took another I took another minute and a half out of that scene. And And all you're doing is you're just popping out the shots that aren't as good as the shots around them. And but still trying to make sure that it is 100 um, percent believable in terms of clarity and emotion and characterization and geography of the planes um and you know that scene where where the the guys take the selfie and then maverick shoots them down like one two three that's a kill that's a kill initially we had two exterior shots of a jet uh, and then mavs hud so it was like poof, poof, that's a kill and i was like no we, we all said no it's got to be one so it was like hud kill hard kill you know things like that just to make it really snappy and punchy and fast and exciting um and so we actually only locked that down in the last like the last two days of the whole process of two years of work until we got that sequence working but um 
you know, all of these scenes, you know, the opening montage on the carrier, you know, that was days and days of work just to build that. You know, um, we initially I had 12 hours of footage from the first four days they went up and I built a sequence. Then they went back to another aircraft carrier when Maverick was launched off the carrier and they filmed another load of footage of shots of planes taking off and people high-fiving and loading catapults and giving thumbs ups and pointing and all that stuff that is what we love about the opening montage of Top Gun. I remember, uh, you know, a year and a half into the process, I was like, right, time to jazz this up. I think, uh, you know, we, we all said, look, we can do better with this. So I, I dug into the second load of dailies and found all the other cool shots and tightened it up and made it even more exciting. So it was just a, you know, and I, I, I just said, guys, leave me alone for three or four days and let me have another pass at this opening montage to really jazz it up even more. And uh, and that's what you see in the film, you know, today is that 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 kind of second or third pass um, at that sequence to me. And literally every frame that's in there is uh, earned. You know, when when we went into lockdown, um myself and joe and, and and chris mcquarrie and tom cruise and jerry bruckheimer we really stress test every second of the movie and uh, we really said is this the best second it can be and can it be tighter is it the right length can i trim frames off can i make is this as good as it can be so we we literally took a, a pass through the entire movie and checked every frame to make sure it was as good as it could be because we just wanted the movie to be awesome you know and we 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 wanted to we took the time that the lockdown offered us to really make sure that that every frame earned its place in the film you know well no you can definitely see how much care there was behind this project and passion <laughs> yeah yeah it really was you know i i cared passionately i i just i just wanted it to be awesome and you know you work all your career to get an opportunity like this and so you're really going to uh, just put in the hours and, 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 you know, just pour the love into it. You know, every frame, every sound, every piece of music, everything. Well, speaking of sound, I mean, I knew I figured as I was going to watch this, I'm like, this is gonna be great sound. I love sound. And I knew it was gonna have just amazing sound. Yes. There was one sequence uh, where uh, Maverick, he's doing his uh, kind of practice run uh, by himself. Yeah. The Canyon run. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was like, there was an, almost an absence of sound. We're in that yeah. cockpit. We're actually listening to the controls and him breathing. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. And it was so suspenseful. It was amazing. Yeah, so what Tom wanted the audience to feel, he said, I want to feel how physically exhausting it is to fly these jets and to be subjected to those G-forces for a sustained amount of time. And it's obviously... Um, it, it, a lot, uh, all, all the sound is 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 recreated later because um, it's impossible. All you get is white noise when you're recording a jet because their en engines are so powerful. So you're constantly using the skills of great sound designers to bring these sequences to life. And that sequence was a, was a challenging one because uh, uh, we we really wanted. It was one of the first things we filmed the pop-up section so the second half of it in the desert was in a different location to the the first bit which is called star wars canyon and so we filmed the, the pop-up bit second sorry first and i built that whole sequence of him doing the pop-up and like doing the laser target and hitting the target himself and then 
the opening sequence um yeah we really wanted the sounds to to not wear the audience's ears out we wanted to be in maverick's point of view i mean most of the movie is very subjectively from maverick's point of view almost every sequence actually in the film um uh so but in in this particular case you we really wanted to get inside maverick's head uh and give you that sense of how exhausted he would be by the end which i think works um uh, you know, when he rips his mask off and he's breathing and he's just exhausted at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, I felt exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I remember. And that scene, we did that run four times. Um, and each time it was on a Friday. And each time we, we the guys came back. Actually, no, it must have been a Thursday and a Friday. And and Tom looked at it and was like, I think we can go lower and faster. It's it's not there yet. And the 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 Navy gave one top gun pilot permission to fly with tom one person was a good enough pilot he's the head of the blue angels and on the last run he really went for it he was he was less than 40 feet off the deck maybe maybe less 700 miles an hour you know and he's having to he can't even see the terrain up ahead he's having to anticipate the terrain because he knows it so well and that is what you see in the movie, that incredibly low run where you can see the shadow of the jet on the wall of the canyon sometimes. And, um, yeah, I remember when we when we all saw that footage, we were, we were completely speechless. It, it was, we were like, wow, that's going in the movie. This is really amazing. And then I remember Joe Kaczynski saying to me, um, this sequence is the sequence that I want people to put on when they're testing their <laughs> home cinema systems. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because uh, the the sound mix was uh, it, it was very very time consuming. Um, every honestly, we didn't compromise on a single second. It is sonically perfect from beginning to end. We did not compromise. Tom Cruise sets the bar so high. Um, it took us seven weeks to mix this film, which is a very long time. It's a, a week for every reel. There's seven reels in the movie. Each reel is about 2,000 feet or 20, 20 minutes. Um, and the sound mixer, Mark Taylor, just before lockdown, he finished No Time to Die, which is you know nearly a three-hour movie. And our film's, what, 2.15, 2.18. He, and we took seven weeks, so twice as long to mix the sound for this. And uh, that is why you are hearing such variety and such... Uh, um, beautiful detail in the sounds and why it's not pummeling your eardrums and why you're feeling it in your body in the right places is because the, the, we really poured so much time and effort into the sound mix because, you know, we all know it's Top Gun. It's got to be world-class. It's got to be the state of the art right now. It's like, this has to be the best that it, that, 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 that technology and human expertise can can give an audience and I, I remember we were all just coming out of lockdown we were the first film to mix here in london after the lockdown and so we were all masked up and there was limited numbers in the studio but i remember hearing that sequence and just thinking wow this is amazing and also the way the way it's scored you know there are, there are places in the movie where we don't use score but in that case we use these kind of long emotional chords which 
sell the awe of the pilots, the young pilots watching, you know, um, to really give the audience that sense of, wow, he's really doing this. And also what I love about that scene is at that point, you've been educated enough to know that two minutes, 15 is impossible. <laughs> exactly. You know, Cyclone <laughs> says, Cyclone says you're going to do it in four minutes and you see Bob go, wait a second, what? We're going to be sitting ducks. We're all going to die. The, the, you know, the fifth gen fighters are going to get us. And then Maverick comes in and says, uh, setting time to target for two minutes, 15 seconds. And you see everyone. Well, going, well, this, <laughs> this is, this is insane. And then Hangman looks up at Cyclone and it's just so satisfying. And you see Cyclone just furious at the beginning. And then eventually you see him like, damn, Maverick's going to prove me wrong. And then he's furious again at the end because he knows what he has to do. And Maverick, and also we've taught the audience about the G-Force. So you, <laughs> you see the counter going 7.5, 8.59, and then it gets to 10 and it's red and Hangman goes, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and But the audience knows, we've taught them, and the audience knows that, you know, that he's bent the airframe of the aircraft and it may never be able to fly again. But he has done the mission, you know. Oh, it's so cool. It's so much fun. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the flying sequence in the third act. I know, I know, I know. I, I, it's it's so great the end as well. We, and, and notice how we we play we score the end of the movie. So going into the third act, the the pilots leave the carrier, and then we play this heavy air of dread and and threat. And we're basically playing the emotion that Maverick's feeling of like this is not going to end well. This mission, something, someone's not coming back from this. And I don't know what's going to happen, but the audience is feeling that as well. And then when we have that incredible shots of the four jets going into the canyon, um, uh, then we just play sound design and dialogue until we get to a point where the uh, the action kicks off with the surface-to-air missiles. And then the music slowly builds to that climax where things kind of take a turn for the worst. Um, but we we you know the whole section of that third act is just sound design and music so you're absolutely with the pilots as they're on this mission and it's it's so exciting um it it did take us a while to figure out that that kind of balance of sound design and music at the end and really the only place where we do full on sound design and full on music and full on dialogue is the is the kind of the dogfights right at the end of the movie you know, uh, um, with Maverick and Rooster, that that whole section, we really go for it musically, which we have not done up until that point. So that's why you're feeling like it's such a big climax, because sonically we're really using every frequency, you know, the whole spectrum of frequencies to really kind of engage your emotions and, and like, you know, grab you by the throat and like thrust you into this action, you know? Oh yeah. I was glued to the back of like my seat, just stuck. And like my wife and I are grabbing hands. Yeah. Our palms sweaty. I mean, it was just an ex such an immersive experience. It was, it's amazing. Oh, it's so good. I'm so pleased. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Eddie, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to start winding this down. Obviously we're talking about these amazing, you know, action sequences, but there's of course some very funny moments and some very, emotional scenes as well how did you balance all that out in the edit yeah humor i know the humor i know it's it's you don't need much but when when it when it bursts the bubble it just is perfect you know and the audience is so tense and then you give them that moment you know for example in the snow in the third act where everyone just 
the tension, the release of tension from the audience is palpable. And, and it's so satisfying because the sequence was designed for that. That scene was designed for that. But to get the timing right and, and we leave enough time for the audience to, to, you know, to feel that, that, that laughter and to enjoy it and to then feel the awkwardness of those two characters kind of manning up to each other and, you know, starting their bromance in the snow. But yeah, you're right. That, that, that was a challenge, the, the, the humour, getting that right. But also the, the balance of emotion and character. It, it, you know, the bar scene, we went back and did lots of pickups for that. And the scene with Iceman, we went back and had t- took, you know, a couple of goes at in order to get the, the, the tone and the emotion of it exactly right for Tom. And then again, there's another great line at the end of that scene, which is designed to break the tension as well. And also is so indicative of the, of the life that these two guys have, you know, the friendship that they shared. Uh, but a lot, you know, all those scenes were just refined and refined and refined and really it took a long time to get right, you know, and often, you know, didn't work for a while before we kind of found the rhythm of the scene and, Almost always the secret is playing it from Maverick's point of view. The whole scene at the bar where you meet all the characters at the beginning, you know, the camera's hinging around Maverick, pivoting around Maverick a lot of the time. So you're keeping him in the story and he's observing all these pilots. And that's just key. The, the, the secret really in terms of these dialogue sequences, especially the busy ones with a lot of people is making sure there's a pyramid. So Maverick, the film's called Top Gun Maverick. It's a subjective story around this character. So the whole film is, you know, it's a single protagonist story. Ultimately, it's about Maverick. And then, um, you know, in the pyramid, you have Rooster underneath that. uh, And then Hangman and Penny. And then underneath that, you've got, you know, Phoenix and Bob and Payback and Fanboy. So as long as you stick to that pyramid when you're cutting the movie, in terms of allocating close-ups, in terms of... um, whose point of view the scene is from um uh, then that 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 i you know trying to keep that in your mind as you're building the film is what kind of allowed gave me a good guidance for a template or gave us it's a team effort you know i really i can't take all the credit we all worked on this movie for two years um together you know in editorial to get it where it needed to be and and a lot of it is down to chris mccrory's writing you know who he he really understands how to make these kinds of movies you know he's made many movies with tom now and they're all terrific yeah no i definitely felt the emotion there at coming at the end oh yeah on the carrier at the end i still i still tear up at the end you know and and actually the secret to that is the fact that maverick and rooster don't resolve their differences really until the very end of the movie i mean we did try having that resolution earlier in in the mission at the end just never worked and so part of it is that is that the sense of you know when maverick and rooster are on the deck and he says we'll talk when we get back and then he says goodbye to hondo and he's like he knows he's not coming back you know what I mean? And so the audience is like, wow, he's Rooster. They're never going to make up. It's it's going to be poor Rooster's never going to get that closure and Maverick's never going to get that. And so when you get it right at the end, you're, the, the emotion is you're, you're just it's just swells of emotion. And then that that line that Mav, that Rooster says to Mav on the deck at the end, I won't spoil it, but it always 
you know, it's literally before they do have their final hug. It, it, it always gets me, you know, it's so emotional. It's so moving. It's like, it's just perfect. It's just movie magic, that moment. I love it. You said it right there. It's movie magic. And that's what it felt like. I felt like I was just, you know. Yeah. I hadn't experienced that, I think, honestly, for me in a while. And it took me back, obviously, not only to just simply the first Top Gun, but just, I guess, movies, how they were made back then. The feeling of that, like you said, movie magic. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a spiritual experience almost, you know. Exactly. And you're there with all these people as well who are also experiencing it. And yes. you're all channeling this movie through all your life experience and everyone's different but but there's some moments in this film which are which just are universally emotional to everybody because they're just it's just simple it's truthful to the human experience you know anyway there we go <laughs> well one last question uh, eddie again thank you uh, for for taking the time i know you're busy and taking the time to be here on the hollywood editing mentor podcast uh this is a, a question from one of our uh, community members roderick sandoval and and maybe it's a two-part question but he asks what are the skill sets that you look for in the assistant editors you hire and i guess at the same time some advice for those people that are yeah trying to break into to film and tv and become editors and obviously might have to go the assistant route first yeah what would yeah. you have to say about first off what do you look for in your assistants and some advice there for people who are trying to do what you do is edit these big Hollywood feature films. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, the most important thing is, um, is, is enthusiasm and, and the love of movies. You need technical expertise as an assistant. Um, but the main thing is your, your, your enthusiasm and your, uh, your dedication to doing a great job. Um, which is not necessarily something you learn. It's just something you have because you're so passionate and you want to be the best uh, at your job. And so it's something which you have to kind of find in yourself naturally, really. It, it, it's very much for me, a, a sent, when I talk to my assistants before I hire them, I, re I spend a long time, like a couple of hours talking with them about their life and about, about their, you know, where they grew up and their family and and what they want to achieve and you know how you know the movies that they like and all that stuff and 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 i asked them a few technical questions to really sort of test their um nerdy editorial assistant editorial skills make sure they understand their codex and their frame rates and their bit rates and all that kind of stuff and um I'm interested to know if they can use different systems, if they can use After Effects or Resolve or Final Cut X or, or you know, Premiere, whatever. I mean, uh, the movies that I do are almost are all Avid Media Composer, um, which is, I, I, I can't imagine really doing a film, you know, with 800 hours of footage shared with a huge team of people uh, where there's millions of dollars at stake on another system. You know, I need a system that works and I need it to be bulletproof. And, and uh, Avid Media Composer is um, really tried and tested in the field and, and does an amazing job and, and uh, works, you know, on my laptop. And I, I, I edited this film. I mean, a, a huge amount of it was edited on my laptop in different hotel rooms and cars and planes and d different naval bases and, you know, all over the place. Um, in terms of uh, 
breaking in the, the main the main thing is to edit as much as you can it doesn't matter what it is um even if even if you go and write a two-page script just for fun film it on your iphone load it into the timeline and edit it and and finish the most important thing is to finish so do make sure you tidy up the dialogue make sure you do the sound effects do the music do any very rudimentary visual effects put titles on it and make sure you finish and put it online for people to watch because you'll learn so much doing that um uh and if you do it a lot you'll get really really good at it but um uh, if if you you don't have to assist i i never i was my own assistant you know so i i kind of assisted myself on many many short films and low budget movies and you can absolutely do that as well if you're if you're willing to kind of take the plunge but um if you want to you know work your way up then you ha you're going to have to start as a pa or start um in television and learn some essential skills for a couple of years in tv make a lot of mistakes I, I actually quite like my team to have made a lot of mistakes before they start even if they're being a, a trainee assistant at least two years of experience so that you've accidentally deleted some media and learned never to do that again and, <laughs> you know all, all of that stuff which we've all done yeah so the girl who is my trainee now her name's grace cousins she has uh she's quite young but she's you know done She's got quite a bit of experience already, and now she's coming in to learn the ropes with my team and really understand what it's like on a big movie. The amount of paperwork that has to get done for the studio, the amount of media management and the amount of um, you know prep. I mean, the, the way that my scene bins are prepared is, is very specific and is very time-consuming because everything is marked up and we have line strings done of all the scenes. And, you know, everything takes time, but it means that when I start working on the sequences and when I have the director in the room, I can make progress very quickly. So all that stuff's really important. Um, but I would say, um, yeah, you're going to, you're going to probably going to start as a PA, even if you've graduated film school, you're going to have to get some kind of entry level job. But the main thing is to climb the ladder that you, that you think you may want to end up at the top of, you know, if you like trailers and, it, or if you like, uh, sport or if you like um comedy or if you like talk shows then then go and work and start to climb that ladder you know if if you want to do movies and you start working in um sport television i mean i did start out in sport tv because that was the job that i got as my entry-level job but um you can sometimes find yourself climbing up that ladder and getting quite a way up and and earning quite good money and then looking around and going wait a second I, I always said to myself that I was going to work, you know, on movies. And, and I, I, I seem to have uh, lost sight of that. You are going to have to, you know, step down the, the ladder and then and work your way up a little bit. Um, so it's very important to try and aim single-mindedly and determinedly aim for, for where you want to end up and, and have a kind of clear idea of that. Um, I also you know, if we're talking about mentors, some of the people who really helped me, like Lee Smith, I worked with on X-Men First Class. He had just done Inception and he did Dark Knight Rises and he did um, Dunkirk and got, got an Oscar for Dunkirk after he did X-Men. And I, I learned so much from him. He was 
very gracious to take me on as as a co-editor basically on x-men first class um and uh you know i i owe him a lot the other the other people i should i should talk about is um on top gun maverick there was a time where i was very overwhelmed with aerial footage and two other editors came on to help steven mirioni came on for several months uh and and also chris lebenson came on who was one of the editors of the original top gun along with billy weber but they both came on for several months and really helped me when i was um absolutely buried in aerial footage um and you know came up with some very very helpful solutions for various parts of the movie that were i mean the whole film was massively challenging um to get right and you know when you watch a movie and it all just works that's probably been the hardest job to get it there it just like nothing works you know when you first start everything is a kind of broken lumpen mess of stuff which is just like something on the timeline you know as a starting point and in order for something to work really well it takes a, a long time and i'm very grateful to steven and chris for for helping for months and months they came on to help on on top gun um so i just want to make sure that they that that i'm grateful for their help as well awesome Eddie. well again just a, an amazing achievement uh congrats again I, I just can't tell uh you how much i've I enjoyed this film and this experience and i want uh, the listeners to go out there right now and go watch top gun maverick multiple times yeah yeah I'm so excited for people to see it. It's great. It's great. Try and see it in Dolby Cinema so you can hear the Dolby Atmos sound mix. There's a Screen X version, which is amazing, where, where we used the, the cameras that were on the side of the plane to generate extra footage on the side, the walls of the cinema. See the movie in Screen X. We've also done a 4DX version, which is where the seats move and, you know, there's wind blown in your face. And it's really cool. And the, the aerial sequences are just such fun in those formats if you want a different flavor, you know. Oh, I'm doing that next for sure. <laughs> all right, awesome. Thank you. Eddie, thank you uh, again for taking time to be here. And just thank you for all that you do for the post-production community around the world. I'm sure we all certainly appreciate it. Awesome. My pleasure, sir. Oh, man, isn't he great? That was Eddie Hamilton taking us into the cutting room of Top Gun Maverick. If you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? Get out there and go watch it. It is truly an amazing film and just an amazing experience overall. So make sure to check it out. And of course, if you're interested in being a film editor and cutting the films that Eddie does, don't forget to put in that work, to take risks, and always strive to be the best at what you do. Thanks for listening to episode 31 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And please share this episode with anyone that's a fan of Top Gun Maverick, as well as anyone that wants to cut big Hollywood feature films. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Stay safe, stay positive. <laughs>